Well, good morning. Okay, all right. Uh, it's good to be with you. My name is Jamin. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, and if you would, grab your Bible, turn with me to John chapter 15. And as you're turning there, uh, you know, we don't say this enough, but I was thinking of this during the 9 o'clock service and said it during the 9, and so I'll say it again. Um, the Lord has just gifted us with so many uh, men and women uh, who are gifted musicians and just gifted worship leaders. And so everyone uh, on stage that was, uh, that was on stage just now, they're gone now, um, but everyone that was on stage, this is the way they serve the church, and they just lead us so well, and I'm so grateful for them. And, and there are so many people that are serving now in other capacities that just allow us to do what God's called us to do, and we're so grateful for. But I'm just even sitting there thinking and looking at the, the, the people that were here uh, just now. Most of them, not only do they serve by leading worship, but they also serve in at least one other capacity here at the church. And so just so grateful for that and that offering. If you see one of them or others who lead us, just, just thank them. There's a lot of hours that go uh, into it, and we are led well by them every time that they lead. And so I'm grateful for that. John 15, starting in verse 1, we're going to pick up a conversation that we started uh, two weeks ago which is large of a larger com- part of a larger conversation that we started uh, really six weeks ago going back to um, Easter. Uh, but we will start in verse 1 and read up to verse 6 and then chat a bit. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Okay, so I don't think it would be a very hard sell to you to to say this, that part of what it means to follow Jesus is life change. As we follow Jesus, behavior changes. The way that we think changes. The way that we interact with those around us changes. And I could just make the point by by kind of highlighting something that's true right now. Right now, whether we've known each other for a long time or maybe you're walking in for the first time, there's probably some things you're assuming are true about me just based on what I'm doing right now and and what I do here at the church. You're probably assuming that I believe what I'm saying, I hope. Uh, You're probably assuming that I love the church. You're probably assuming that I don't have a hidden agenda. In fact, if you know uh, anything about the qualifications for an elder listed in 1 Timothy 3, you probably assume that I meet those qualifications, that I'm uh, self-controlled and sober-minded and respectable and not a thief. And if you're assuming that, you'd be right. Not that I'm perfect, not that that there's not a struggle, right? But those things are true about me. I I am who I I claim to be. Uh, And yet... If I were to say 15 years ago, many of those things were not true about me, you'd say, sure, we were like five years old, right? But uh, a little older than that. But anyway, um, or 10 years ago, some of those things were not true about me. Or even five years ago, those things were not true enough about me for me to be in the role that I am now. That probably wouldn't be a shock to anyone. I hope that wouldn't be a shock to anyone. Because essentially what I'm saying in that is that as I have been following Jesus, Over time, gradually, there's been a change in my life to look more like him. And here's here's what I could say at the same time. Five years from now, I hope to be different than I am now. I mean, I struggle in ways I thought, surely by now, I wouldn't struggle anymore. Hope to be more patient. Hope to be more godly. You could stand here and probably say the same thing. 
gosh, you know, I'm not who I was 10 years ago. And right now, here's kind of what life looks like for me. And then I hope five years from now, I've, I've grown a bit. I hope that's part of why you're here. I hope that's a large part, actually, of why you're here, that, that you coming here and being a part of us together is because you expect that your participation here, your worship here, your involvement in community here is going to change you. It's going to make you into a, a different person as you go. In fact, um, in January, when we voted to become our own church, and if that's all news to you, catch me after and I'll tell you the story, but when we voted to become our own church in January, one of the arguments for going from a campus to being our own local church was that as we become our own place, it's gonna force us to grow. It's gonna uh, cause us to own in areas we haven't had to own. Maybe for many of us, that means letting go of some preferences and growing independence on Jesus. And that's what we've signed up for. Like if five years from now, you cannot look to Citizens Church and say, yeah, I'm different, I've been shaped, I've grown because of my involvement there. Either we failed to do what we said we would do, or you simply attended and, and kept us at, at arm's length the whole time. But following Jesus, it, implicit in that, means our lives change. That's probably not news to us. What we said when we started this conversation two uh, weeks ago was that that is actually at the very core of what Jesus came to do. Not only is that something that will happen as we follow Jesus, Jesus looks at his disciples with less than five hours left with them before he's, he's, he's taken, and he spends those hours saying, guys, you know what this has been about? The teaching, the miracles, the, uh, all of the time together, it has been about you being different. It, the way he said it in the verses we just read is it has all been about life change, you becoming more like me. And so that is what Jesus is, is saying is at the very heart of what it means to follow him is that we become more like him. And so what we said two weeks ago is, is how that plays out in verses one through 17 is who I am to God, and that's a thread, becomes who I am in practice, and that's another thread, because of my union with Jesus, and that's what ties the two threads together. So I've got this position before God, and that's who I am because of what Jesus has done. And then I have this practice, how that fleshes itself out in my daily life. And both of them only work because of my association with Jesus. So it's what he means when he says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. He's leaning on an Old Testament metaphor that we talked through two weeks ago. If you want more on that, you can catch the sermon on the Citizens podcast. But he's leaning on an Old Testament metaphor saying, what's true about the vine is true about the branches. This is the doctrine where Jesus begins, our lives begin to change. And he starts with the doctrine of union with Christ. So as, as believers, when we start talking about our justification, or we talk about our sanctification, or we talk about our glorification, all of that flows out of the belief that we're in Christ, that we're united with him. Now, if, if all of that Asian language is new to you, let me offer an illustration to try and, and maybe uh, make that more clear. Uh, I have flown twice in the last uh, four weeks which is really unusual for me. I don't travel much, and when I do travel, it's mostly in Texas because I love what God loves. Um, but I, uh, I was on a plane a couple weeks ago, and right before I had to turn the plane into airplane mode, I text Carrie, and I said, I am taking off. And then the flight's a couple hours long, and we land, and I turn my phone back on, and I text Carrie, and I say, I landed. Now, here's the reality. Uh, I can't fly. 
I can barely jump. And I also, for sure, I can't descend from five miles in the air and land without injury. I can't do any of those things. But the plane can. And I was in the plane. And so what was true about the plane was true about me. When the plane is taking off, I'm in the plane, so I'm taking off. As the plane is 30,000 feet in the air, I'm in the plane, so I'm 30,000 feet in the air. As the plane is landing safely, I'm landing safely. Not because I did any of those things, but because I was in the plane, and what was true about the plane was true about me. Listen, friends, to Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved, that's Jesus. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth, uh, having in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Did you hear it? I know that's a lot. That's actually one sentence. And in that, it talks about God and it talks about us and it talks about the story. And yet thread throughout in him, through Jesus, in Christ, uh, in him, you're blessed. In him, you're loved. In him, you're forgiven. In him, you have a purpose. In him, you have an inheritance. And all of that is true because of our association with him. Listen, Jesus is holy and accepted. You are in Jesus, you're holy and accepted. Jesus is loved by the Father without condition. You are in Jesus, you're loved by the Father. Jesus has a forever future in a world free of sin and suffering. You're in Jesus, you have a forever future in a world free of sin and suffering. Jesus has a beautiful inheritance and you're in Jesus, you have a beautiful inheritance. Christian, how secure are you? How secure is Jesus? How loved are you? Well, how loved is, is Jesus? Look. Uh, if I am on the plane and we're taking off and I turn to someone next to me and I'm like, hey, I just don't really feel like I'm taking off. None of that matters because at that point I am connected to the plane and my reality is connected to the plane's reality and what's true about it is true about me. And to be in Christ, to be in Jesus means that even when my belief feels weak and my doubt feels strong, when my uh, sin feels thick and my obedience feels thin, I am no less loved, I am no less blessed, I am no less forgiven, I am no less in Christ because I was never any of those things because of the strength of my belief. I was always those things because of the strength of the one in whom I believe. And Jesus is secure. He never changes. He's not going to crash. Look, 
Of all the identity questions and insecurity questions that are out there, the starting place to answer those is in Jesus. Like in Jesus is where our shame is combated. In Jesus is where our guilt is absorbed. In Jesus is where, look, our our failures are covered and all of our battles are won. And Jesus is saying, you're going to change. And you know where you start? By knowing, by knowing how secure and how loved and how held you are. What's true about me is true about you. And then listen to this, verse four. Abide in me. And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You're in Christ. And then Jesus just gives a command, abide in me. You know what that means? You're in Christ. And then Jesus is gonna come and right after that say, be in Christ. It's a reality about who you are And then it's a command from Jesus. Like if someone came up to me when I'm sitting on the plane and said, hey, you need to get on the plane. That'd be weird, right? It's crazy. Listen, the word abide means remain. It means to be present with. This is what Jesus is getting after. Uh, We don't use that word. That's not part of our common speech, but uh, we could describe it, the meaning of it, define it by this. Like if you had a friend coming into town, they're from out of town, they're coming into town to visit you and they call you and they're like, hey, we're gonna get a hotel. And we're just going to stay in a hotel room. And you're like, no, 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 you want them to stay with you. And so you say, don't stay in a hotel. Why don't you just abide with me in my house? Now, don't say that because that's weird. They'd be like, no, we're, we'll do the hotel for sure, right? Um, <laughs> but Jesus is saying, be with me. That's, that's all he means. Spend time with me. Now, remember what's going on here. He is talking to 11 men who he has physically been present with for three years. Abiding with Jesus has for them simply meant eating with him, and sleeping where he sleeps, and talking with him, and praying with him. And what did Jesus just tell them? He's leaving, and they're going to lose that. That ability to be with Jesus and spend time with Jesus is about to change for them. And so Jesus says, in my absence, as I'm physically gone, you're going to need to fight. You're going to need to learn a new way to remain with me. Like our ears should perk up just a bit, because that's us. Anybody ever spent time with Jesus in the flesh? Anybody ever seen him, right, as he is physically? So uh, for us, abiding with him is the same thing that Jesus was teaching them it would have to become as they move from him being physically present to then absent from the world. And it's two things, and this will be where we spend our time. Abiding with Jesus according to Jesus is a matter of desire and discipline. Desire and discipline. By desire, I mean it two different ways. Our desire to be with him, which we'll do in a minute, but believing that he wants to be with us, that he desires, not just that, but that he already is abiding with us. Abide in me and I in you is what he says. And so where we have to spend some time is, is by understanding that this includes when we mess up. This includes when we're not fighting to abide with him like he commands us to, that he has just told these men that they're clean because of the words. And then he says, abide with me, meaning as you become unclean, as you continue to mess up, as you fumble through this, don't distance yourself, stay close because I have not left you. And that's so counterintuitive. What I love about our uh, one-year-old now, she's a little over one, that she, she disobeys and she disobeys right in front of our face and then just acts like everything is okay because she didn't know any better. And so it's like, hey, Ayla, um, baby, don't throw your food on the ground. And so she grabs a handful of peas, 
and she drops them on the ground and then smiles at us like we're good, right? Everything's, everything's still okay. And, and what you know is, is by age two, that's changed. At, at least between two and three, what then happens is disobedience is accompanied by distance. I break a rule and then I avoid. I break a rule and then I run. I break a rule and then I try to cover that up. And it's the belief is one, I'm trying to get out of the consequence, whatever that might be. But also the belief is that when I disobey, it means that the, the intimacy is in jeopardy. The relationship is in jeopardy. And, and if you've been around kids or, or, or if you think about this with your parents, the irony is that when my children mess up, that's when I want them closer, right? It's when they're in trouble that I want them nearer to me. Like, it's not the sins that they will one day commit that I'm most worried about. It's the sins that they will one day commit and then try to hide that I pray most against. I had the conversation with, with, with one the other day. I said, child, talking to one of my children, I said, child, when you lie, when you run, uh, when you jump the fence into the neighbor's yard, true story, uh, it's not that at that point you escape the consequences. You don't. At that point, what you've done is you have created a whole new set of problems for you that you then have to face all by yourself because no one else knows what you're going through. Like uh, when, and Jesus, God did not make you to struggle all alone. Like, listen, when, when whatever it is that's, that's coming out of you, whatever it is that you're going through, whatever it is that you do, I want you to bring that to me. And I'm not telling you it will be free of pain, but I am promising you that you won't have to go through it alone. And that's Jesus. Jesus is near. His, his desire is to be with you and to abide with you. And you, friends, you only distance yourself from him in failure if you, think, if you believe that he first distanced himself from you. And he doesn't. That's not who he is. Let me make the point. Uh, Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. It's a command. And after the command comes a promise. The command is you stay close to me. The promise is I'm already close to you. And that's not going to change. Where does Jesus go? What's the first thing he does after he raises again from the dead? He goes to these men. He goes to them and he enters in with them to abide with them. The last thing they did before he died was run away from him. The first thing he does when he comes back to life is he goes to the ones who ran away. And he says, touch my scars. Be close to me. He calls them friends and brothers. Listen to me. He wants them near. He wants you near. Like being with him is first about believing he is already with us and has no plans to leave. And then the desire is not just from him to us, but the desire is from us to him. C.S. Lewis, he has a short little speech called The Inner Ring. It's free to PDF online if you want to read it. And in that speech, he makes this argument that uh, the human desire that is most basic to the human heart, the human desire that is in every human heart that's more controlling than the desire for possessions or pleasure or money or sex. There's a desire that's more controlling than all of that, and it's the desire to be accepted by people. But not just any people, the desire to be accepted by important, elite, special people. So he describes what he calls the inner ring. In, in other words, in every single community, in every group of people, there is a group that's the inside group and they have the power and they're the ones who are most loved and they're the ones who are most important and that's the inner ring. And he says this about all of us in everyone's life at certain periods, in some people's lives at all periods, 
one of the most dominant elements is the desire to be inside the local ring and the terror of being left outside. So just think about your life and your history, school growing up, maybe home growing up, maybe your job right now, maybe churches you've been a part of, and there's this group of people, and maybe it's undefined, but everyone kind of, as they get closer in, they know who's in and they know who's out. They know who's popular, and they know who's important, and they know who has the influence, and they know who, who doesn't. And for those who are in, they take pride in being in. And for all those who are out, they look inside the inner ring and say, man, if I could just be accepted by them if I could just associate with them, if I could just be united with them. And so here's maybe how it's come out in some of our lives. It's why that maybe we have neglected some relationships that are good and healthy to try and pursue relationships with people who don't actually matter as much to us, but they matter a lot in the circle that we want to be in. So we push back those who are close so that we can try to court those who we want to be close to. Or maybe it's why sometimes we feel good when other people are excluded from groups that we've been included in because in some way, someone else's loneliness helps me combat my own. Or maybe you've been a recipient of this. Have you ever been in conversation with someone and you're talking face-to-face and someone walks in the room and you see the person you're talking to, see the person who just walked in the room, and there's someone who's important, someone who's valuable, and then the person you're talking to finds like a really quick exit from conversation with you so they can go talk to that person. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever done that to anyone? Never? Yeah, me neither. I've never done, never done that. What Lewis is trying to say is that in the words, if I could put what Lewis's point in the words of Jesus's metaphor, one of the most basic human desires is to try and connect the branch of our life to the vine of someone else's, is to try to connect uh, our life to someone else, someone important, someone special, believing that acceptance by them will be what we draw life from. And Jesus commands us, the reason it's a command, you're in Christ, be in Christ, you are with me, stay with me, is because what Jesus knows is how shallow often our desire is for him and how Uh, we so often try to find the life he offers in relationships around us. Like the bent of the human heart is to believe that life and meaning is found in other vines. And, And here's where it's going to get real, real quick. At the end of five, here's what Jesus says. It's the litmus test of our desires for him, if they're sincere or not. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I want to ask you, do you believe that? Do you believe that? Like, uh, that's a confrontational statement. And if ultimately, if ultimately what we desire, if ultimately our life goals can be accomplished without Jesus, if the, the dreams we have for our life are not dependent on love from him, if they're not dependent on his guidance, if we can do all that we want to do without abiding with him, not only is what Jesus is saying that none of that really matters that much, what it actually reveals is that he does not matter a whole lot to us. Look, what he's saying is, is, is what the missionary poet C.T. Studd once wrote. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Friend, if you hear that and you scoff at that, you have connected your life to some other vine. 
And here's what's coming for you. What's coming for you is a time when you realize the thing you've connected yourself to has failed you, and you look back over your life and realize that nothing that came out of your life really mattered all that much. Apart from me, you can do nothing. He means what he says. Here's what else it means. He's talking to his disciples. Apart from me, you can do nothing means that you can't do anything for him without first being with him. Like what he calls us to, what he commands us to, what he's asked us to be about in the world. We have no shot at being any of it without spending time with him. Now, let me stop for just a second because I'm assuming a lot. I am assuming all of this from Jesus assumes that we see Christianity the same way he does. We've been having this conversation for the last six weeks. This is not about me going to heaven when I die. According to Jesus, this is about me living on earth with Jesus through the love of Jesus in such a way that his kingdom comes, his will is done in Collin County as it is in heaven. It's why we named our church Citizens Church. We're trying to capture this theological reality that our citizenship is in heaven. And as we live as citizens of heaven here on earth, the world, or this little slice of earth that God's given us is going to change as we do that. And you're doing it. (laughs) I am eager over our next however long we have together to highlight all the stories of the way this is coming out of your life. And so it's a good pause for us to realize that none of that ambition for justice or to be in our home who we want to be in our home, none of it happens. None of it happens without being with Jesus. That is churchy language, and I want to fight for clarity. So let me speak to this personally. As I read this, here's what happens in my heart. You may not be paying attention to this like, like I have, but the last decade of research around the health of pastors in America is really alarming, really alarming. As one article put it, pastors suffer from depression and they struggle with obesity and hypertension at a rate that is higher than the average American, meaning collectively clergy are a very physically and emotionally unhealthy group of people. Um, Pastors spend shorter time in ministry than they used to with an alarming number leaving ministry for good in the first three to five years of ministry. Now listen, there are lots of issues at play. Every single story is different. No one story is the same. And so maybe you know someone or maybe I want to be careful to not lay a stereotype over. But here's what I want you to know about what's coming out in the research. A common thread is that if you look at the life of the pastor, if you look at the rhythms of the pastor, there's an absence of rest There is an absence of time with Jesus. It's not connected to the job. Pastors talking a lot about God, not talking to him. Pastors preaching the importance of Bible reading, but only reading when the job demands. Busy pastors busily preaching, taste and see that the Lord is good and never sitting down at the table to feast. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We have a lot in front of us as Citizens Church. God in his kindness has allowed me to play a leadership role in that, and it's a dream come true. And when I read this, what God is saying to me here is that I have no shot at leading our church well if I don't spend time with the head of the church. Not only that, but if I could, would I want to? And if I wanted to, what would that mean? Like if I could do any of this without him that didn't require him, what a waste of time that would be. Like hear me, I don't want to be a travel agent pastor handing out brochures to places I've never been. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That's me. Let's talk about you. 
employee, mom, dad, husband, wife, friend, child. I hope, I hope you have Jesus-centered hopes in all of those roles. I know there's things you want to accomplish in your job. You want to be a gospel presence. You want to leverage the gifts and resources God has, has given you. So many of you are involved in so many different ministries and nonprofits, and, and you're giving of your time. Are you going to Jesus for the resources to do those things? Our students went to student camp two weeks ago, and Corey, our student pastor, he told me that when they were at camp this past week, a group of our high school girls came to Corey and asked if they could spend time with a group of our middle school girls that were on the trip so that they could teach them to read the Bible. Isn't that incredible? And I, I just was so encouraged by that. And, and let me just say this as an aside. There's like so much that's being said right now about the next generation and, and all the problems that are there. And I don't know about all that, but I know this coming off of city camp here and the stories I saw in front of me and coming off student camp. And I heard about the, the stories that, that, that grew out of that, like the young men and women that God has brought here, the children that God has brought here and what he's doing in their life gives me great confidence that Jesus actually meant what he said when he said the gates of hell won't prevail against the church. And we're seeing that happen here, God preparing them for that. That was an aside. Corey told me that. He said, uh, these girls wanted to teach these, these younger girls to read the Bible. And so I thought of my girls. I thought of Addie and I thought of Ayla. And I thought, gosh, when they're in high school, I hope they look at the younger women around them. And I hope they say, hey, let me show you what I've learned about our good God and his good book that he gave us. That's a Jesus-centered hope. What's my first step? The hopes that you have, like uh, all the ways that that comes out of your life and how you're wanting to invest, where you're wanting to invest, what's our first step? The first step is to be with Jesus, to spend time with Jesus. Friends, you cannot give what you don't possess. Where do you get what you want to give from Jesus? You cannot start to be in your home who you want to be in your home unless you first spend time with Jesus as he is all of those things to you. Let's get practical in verses 7 through 11, Jesus tells us what that looks like. The abiding is three things. It's prayer, it's reading the Bible, and it's obedience. Let me show you that. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, his teaching, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. It's prayer. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. As my Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, that's obedience, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. These are the disciplines that Jesus lays out. I'm leaving, I've been with you, I'm gonna be absent from you. Here's how you remain with me. Talk to me, ask whatever you wish. That's prayer. And by that, he, he, he starts that by saying, if you abide in me and if my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. In other words, he assumes that you are going to ask in accordance with what he's already taught us to ask, like in the prayer in Matthew 6. But he says, pray to me for those things. Talk to me. Uh, my words abide in you, what I've taught you. For us, that means reading the Bible. That's where we see what Jesus taught. And then keeping my commandments, that means obedience. Even the obedience that says to repent and confess and return when we're disobedient. That's it. Those are the, the disciplines that help us stay connected to Jesus. Are you disappointed a bit? Prayer, read your Bible, and obey. This is not very creative. Well, I'm not trying to be creative, but I do want to show us something here that has been a helpful turn for me as I think about this. Right in the middle, what does Jesus say? As the Father has loved me, 
so have I loved you. Abide in my love. The practice is right in the middle of, hey, pray. Remain with me in prayer. Read the Bible. Remain with me in remembering my words. Obey the commandments. Remain with me by being obedient in all that I've taught you. My Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in that love. He goes back to the union. He goes back to our connectedness with Jesus. And here's what he's saying. When you do these things, what you're not doing is you're not gaining closeness with God. You are living out of a closeness that's already there. Look, uh, for the greater portion of my Christian life, I approached things like obeying and praying and reading as if that they were ways that I earned closeness with God. And we say it all the time. I just want to feel close to him. I just want to get closer to God. So I joined the Bible study and I understand that and I get why that language works and what we're trying to say. But what Jesus is teaching us is that this is not about getting closer. It is about experience and remaining in a closeness that's already there. So we could try to say it like this. It's not that these practices are deposits into the relational account that we have with God. I pray And so I make a deposit in my account with God. And if it's a really wordy prayer, I get extra credit. And I read the Bible, and that goes deposits in my account with God. And I obey uh, and try to do the best I can, and those deposits go in the account with God. And when I've raised enough money, when I have deposited enough, I can purchase intimacy with God. I can purchase closeness with God. And then what it's about for me is my closeness with him is about what I have or have not done. And Jesus says, no, it doesn't work like that. The Father has loved me. I love you. Abide in the love that's already there. These practices are not deposits, friends. They are withdrawals. They are us acknowledging that God has already filled the account, the association, the relationship, the intimacy. It's already there in the way that it's like, I know we don't do this anymore, but when you used to go to the bank and actually withdraw money, In that sense that when you got the cash and the cash was in your pocket, you felt maybe like there was greater ownership over the money. You felt like you possessed it to a greater degree, right? And the money was yours before when it was just in the account. But when you actually make the withdrawal, you feel like there's just a little bit more of an ownership and responsibility that you have over it now that it's in your hands. And this is the point that Jesus is making here. The love and the abiding and the closeness, it's there. And through prayer... And through reading his word and through keeping his commandments, we access what is already ours and what is already true about us starts to come out of our lives. In other words, in a sense, we take possession of what already belongs to us. Here's why I use the word discipline, because it requires discipline. Jesus is talking to these men that he's been with every day. And so if he's saying, remain with me even when I'm gone, what do you think the expectation is? That they remain with him every day. And if the way to remain is through prayer and reading and obedience, surely Jesus expects that to happen every day for them. And he expects the same for us, that there's time in every day that we are spending time with Jesus. And that, what that does, is that discipline in our life that is rooted in our union with him helps our union with him pour out of our lives. Look, meaning this, if I don't have time every day set aside to be with Jesus, if I'm not talking with him, if I'm not hearing his words, if I'm not viewing money, if I'm not viewing people, if I'm not viewing the brokenness in the world the way that he taught me, then I will be a Christian who has a full account of love and acceptance and worth and purpose that I never access 
And then I will feel impoverished. And out of that feeling of poverty, which is not real for me, but out of that feeling of poverty, I will then unite my life to some other vine and I will seek that meaning and I will seek that rest and I will seek that life somewhere else, which leaves me what? More bankrupt than I was before. And it takes this discipline in our life so that we access what is ours in Jesus. Well, we don't have to earn what's already been gifted. Okay, but I don't have time. I don't have any time for that. Look, this is a really complicated conversation because everyone's in a busy season of life and everyone has a different amount on their plate. So let me just start the conversation here. I'd rather have it over coffee, so let's just start it here. What I want to know is this. When you do have time, which you do, what do you do? Like, when you finally get space, is it streaming? When you finally get space, is it five minutes of scrolling every hour on the hour? When you finally get space, do you go back to the work that you just left? You don't have to, but you have the space and you go back to the emails because you don't know what to do. And listen, when you get those pockets of break, I want you to hear this. When you get those pockets of break, what you do with that time, that is what you abide in. What you do with that time is the vine that you are connected to. I'm not asking if you have a 90-minute devotion every day. I am asking, are you going to Jesus with the minutes you've got every day? Listen to the quote from D.A. Carson. People do not drift toward holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate toward godliness, prayer, obedience to Scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. We drift toward compromise and call it tolerance. We drift toward disobedience and call it freedom. We drift toward superstition and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch toward prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we've escaped legalism. We slide toward godlessness and convince ourselves we have been liberated. Isn't that a nice little pat on the back from D.A. Carson? The drift is real. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, that drift is, that drift is no respecter of persons. And so how do we fight the drift? How do, we, how do I fight the drift? It's from my union with Jesus, knowing that he's close with me and wants to be close with me, we build the discipline in our lives. We create margin to spend time with him so that we can access what is already ours. Now hear me, this conversation is something I'm committed to having with us as long as we get to have it. So we don't have to say everything there is to say now about it, what it looks like to abide with Jesus. We'll spend time there. I want to end with this. In verse 11, Jesus tells us why he cares so much about this. And it may surprise some of us. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. I'm saying all of this to you, Jesus says, because I want joy in your life. I'm saying all of this to you because I want more for you than the anxiety and the emptiness that comes from drawing life from other vines. He wants more for us than the tragedy of one who is in Christ, acting like they have to earn what Jesus has already secured. And that joy, it only comes on the other side of allowing Jesus' words and time with Jesus and uh, him dictating what our life looks like. It only comes on the other side of building that into our lives that we are saying, I'm in Christ. All that I just wish was so true for me is already true for me. And it is through these, uh, this invitation from Jesus, stay close with me. Stay close with me. That's how life bears fruit. That's how life p- 
peace overwhelms anxiety. That's how we become the thing that we are hoping all of this makes us. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your mercy and your grace and your kindness to us. I thank you for these men and women. Uh, God, I, I pray, you know, I... <laughs> and maybe these are just my fears, God, but I'm just mindful, I really am just mindful that um, there's men and women in the room who would hear pray and obey and read, and what they would hear is do better, and what they would hear is try harder, and what they would hear is, uh, they would, this message would join the swirl of voices that are saying right now, you're not enough, and you're not doing enough, and that's not what you have, Jesus. It's not what you have for us in this. You're contending for our joy, as a uh, Jesus, a king, a savior who loves us and wants to be with us, you're inviting us into time with you and you're doing that because you know that that's what the heart most needs, that's what all of us most need. And so you're patient, you're patient. You're patient with how this comes out in our lives. You're, you're patient with what this might look like. You're patient with the one who made lofty promises about the way that they would do this six months ago and haven't done any of it. You extend grace and you extend love. And yet, in your grace and in your love, you're not gonna leave us alone about this. That we're desperate for you. We are desperate not for you to do more for us than you've already done, but we are desperate that on any given day, the time that we spend with you actualizes in our life all that you've completed on our behalf. And we ask that you would convict us and stir in us that we would rearrange our lives in accordance with what you've said is true about you and what's true about us. We love you. Amen.